following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Colossians 1 today, and so uh, we're going to take a break from the Sermon on the Mount to uh, think about Thanksgiving this morning, such an important theme, and so Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Before we get to the text, uh, if, if you've been a Christian uh, for, for a long time, or, or maybe even a relatively short time, uh, I'd imagine that you can probably uh, look back on a number of, of very pivotal moments in your Christian faith. You know, times where that really uh, set a course, set a direction, and, and, and were shaping moments in, in your pursuit of godliness. And, uh, and I've had a number of those experiences myself. There's different times I can look back and really uh, give thanks for, for God's particular work in my heart. Uh, but one of those uh, pivotal moments or, or times in, in my uh, spiritual growth was, was reading uh, this book by Jerry Bridges called The Discipline of Grace. And, and it's got a new cover now. If you've uh, looked it up on Amazon, it wouldn't look like this anymore. But, uh, but this book uh, was a book that God really used in my life, and so... Uh, I read it uh, when I was a senior in college, and, and I was just coming out of a time uh, during my, particularly my sophomore and junior years of college, where I had gone through some confusion in my understanding of spiritual growth, and I was kind of working my way out of all that and, and trying to, 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 to crystallize my understanding of, of how God changes us. And at the same time, uh, the church that I extended throughout my years in college, they asked me to take over the youth group. And so I had to start teaching Sunday school every week, uh, along with doing all of my regular college responsibilities. And so I needed a curriculum. I needed something that I could put together and teach without a ton of effort. And I also really wanted to read this book. And so, and so that's what I did. And so I started reading this book, teaching chapter by chapter as I uh, each Sunday school uh, with the teenagers. And, um, and I'm sure... Uh, that, that my teaching was lousy. I had never done anything quite like that before. And so I don't know that the teenagers got much of anything uh, out of what I was teaching week to week. Um, but I sure did. And uh, God really used uh, that book to uh, settle my thinking on, on how it is that God changes us and grows us and uh, how particularly discipline interacts with the grace of God and, and really, that book helped to set a course for, for, for my whole uh, approach to, to, to spiritual growth and to how I want to change and to how I want to help other people change as well. And, and one of the chapters in that book that, that particularly has stuck with me now for, for a long time, um, uh, since I guess that probably, be, I think it was spring of 2003, uh, I read through it. Uh, the third chapter of the book was entitled, Preach the gospel to yourself. And uh, Bridges argued in that chapter that the gospel is not just for lost people. That, that instead, a healthy Christian experience has to always remain rooted in the gospel. And so I don't need to just preach the gospel to the lost. He, he argued in that chapter that I need to preach the gospel to myself. And I need to do so every day of my life. And I love that concept. And, uh, and so I've tried ever since to preach the gospel to myself daily. 
And, uh, and, and really, it has been just a, a really helpful tool for me to daily remember what God has done for me and give thanks for who I am in Christ every day of my life. And, and you know, this Thursday, of course, is Thanksgiving. And, and we all have many things that we ought to give thanks for this year. But if you are in Christ, the gospel is the greatest cause that you have for thanksgiving. And so I'd like to just take our time today, I think especially it's especially appropriate considering the baptisms we did earlier, to, to, to preach the gospel to you, to preach the gospel to myself, and call all of us to give thanks the glorious message of the gospel. And so let's read Colossians 1, uh, verses 12 through 14. And really, uh, most people, by the way, believe that the last word of verse 11 should go with verse 12. So, uh, let's begin there. It says, Joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These verses uh, emphasize three blessings of the Gospel. And that's where we'll spend the majority of our time. But, but before we get to these blessings, I do want to just first emphasize what, what, what Paul tells us here about the priority of thanksgiving. So, so notice there that, that he begins the text by saying that, that Christians are those who joyously give thanks to the Father. Now, now to appreciate The significance of that statement, we need to take a moment and just see what Paul means in context. So so these verses come in the context of a prayer report that Paul gives, which extends from verse 9 down through verse 14. But what's kind of interesting about this prayer report is that Paul tells the Colossians how he prays for them, but he only lists one prayer request. And that prayer request comes at the end of verse 9, he prayed for the Colossians that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, so his prayer for them is that they would develop this, this spiritual knowledge and understanding. And then he follows in verse 10 by, by telling us a, a vision of what will happen as God fulfills that request. He says, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Now, now that is a high vision, right? That that God wants me to walk worthy of the Lord and to please Him in all respects. That's not like a first level goal, is it? That is a high goal that God sets out. Now, you might hear that and wonder, "Well, well, how in the world do I do that? How can I, a sinner, walk worthy of the Lord and please Him in every respect? And and Paul says, I'm glad you asked. And so he follows with four parallel reasons, four answers as to what that life that pleases the Lord looks like. And so he tells us, first of all, at the end of verse 10, that a worthy walk bears fruit in every good work. Secondly, it is increasing in the knowledge of God. Third, in verse 11, It is a life that is strengthened with all power, speaking there of God's power. And fourth, this worthy walk involves joyously giving thanks to the Father. 
So, 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 so Paul here lays out these four ideas, and I think it's important to say that, that this is not an exhaustive list of what a worthy walk is. And I don't even think that we could say that these are necessarily the four top priorities, the four highest things. But folks, the fact that, that Paul lays out these four things and says this defines a worthy walk tells us that these four items are very important. And I've always found it kind of striking and interesting that in a list of what it means to live a worthy life that pleases the Lord, Paul would put in his four joyously giving thanks. Yeah, because I, you know, if I think about a godly life, you know, if, and if you were, you know, if someone were to say to you, hey, list off the five top things that make godliness, I doubt that very many of us would put thankfulness in our top four, right? I mean, we, we think it's, you know, it's a good thing, but, but we don't think of it necessarily as a high Christian priority. So, so why would Paul define a worthy walk by joyously giving thanks? And I think it's because, fundamentally, we have to remember that Christianity is not fundamentally a moral code or, or a way of life or, or, or a practice that I do. No, Christianity is fundamentally a relationship with the God of heaven and earth. It's a relationship of worship to God through Jesus. And so I must constantly be living my life in such a way where I see God as majestic and awesome. And I see myself as a sinner who is unworthy of His love and kindness. And so I worship Him. I worship Him and love Him for His glory. And I thank Him that He would be kind to a sinner like me and do anything for me. And so it's because of this that thanksgiving is a basic mark of a right view of God and a right view of myself, right? You know, so if I'm constantly thinking big thoughts about God and I'm amazed at His glory and majesty and I'm also recognizing rightly how broken and sinful and messed up I am, then there's no way that I cannot constantly just stand amazed that the God of the universe would be gracious to a sinner like me. And if that is the stance of my heart, I am constantly going to be joyously giving thanks to God for every blessing He gives, the gospel and everything else. So, so because of that, folks, my thankfulness, or, or the lack thereof, says a lot about how I see God and how I see myself. And, and as such, it says a lot about the general condition of your spiritual state. As, as Paul says, thankfulness is an essential mark of a worthy walk. So, so therefore, I, I'd say to you, with, with as much compassion as I can, that if you are an Eeyore, you know, always walking around like there's a cloud over your head, discontent about all the circumstances of your life, you know, woe is me every day of your life. You know, if discontentment is the, is, the, is, the, is the main condition of your life, then it's a problem. It's a problem that reflects how you see God and how you see yourself. And as Paul says, thankfulness is an essential mark of a worthy walk. 
You know, so, so if you are discontent all the time, it, it reflects the fact that you have an inflated view of yourself. That you think you deserve a lot. And you have a deflated view of God. That He, had, he, he ought to give you more. And, and, so, and so discontentment it is wrong. And, and folks, we need to repent of it and, and reject it. And then, of course, we need to choose thanksgiving and joy, you know, even if life is painful. So, so embrace the attitude of, of Psalm 119, verse 71, which says, It is good for me, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Now, now, now God may not have wired you to be a cheery person who just smiles all the time and, and, and looks like, you know, and skips around like, like you're in you know, a field of daisies. I mean, I'm not wired that way, and, and you might not be wired that way either. And that's okay. Because God never says that you need to be happy all the time. But by God's grace, you can progressively develop a thankful stance where you see God's graces all around you. You see Him for His goodness and kindness, and you see that all in light of your brokenness and your sinfulness. And folks, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So if you are walking in the Spirit, this is, will be your heart. So, so let's not look at Thanksgiving merely as a holiday. You know, or, or just some discipline that we make our kids do when, when they pray. You know, let's value it as an essential mark of a worthy walk. And let's discipline ourselves to make it a high priority every day. And, and then notice that our text calls us specifically... To, to, to give thanks for the gospel. So it calls us to preach the gospel to ourselves every day and give thanks. And Paul follows here with three reasons why we should give thanks for the gospel. And the first reason is, is that I have an eternal inheritance. So Paul says again in verse 12 that we are to joyously give thanks to the Father. Why? Because He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, now, we ought to understand inheritance here as a reference to the new Jerusalem that God is going to establish at the very end of time. So, so the Bible promises that someday God is going to replace this broken, sin-cursed world with, with a new heavens and a new earth. And Paul says here that that age, that age of the new heavens and earth will be characterized by light. It will not be characterized by the darkness that, that he's going to talk about in verse 13, it will be a day of light. It reminds me of Revelation 21, verses 23 through 26, which say, uh, John says, he says, And the city, speaking of the new Jerusalem, has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Now folks, the day is coming when God will be among His people. And when God is among us in all of His glory, there will be no darkness. There will not even be a shadow in the New Jerusalem because, because the presence of God will be in every corner of this place. It's going to be marvelous. And notice that you can't take any credit for the fact that you have an inheritance there. 
Because Paul doesn't say that you qualified yourself for this inheritance. What's he say? He says the Father has qualified us. Now, now why is that so important? We'll look over at verses 21 and 22. Verse 21 says, Paul reminds us, he says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death, in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So, so, so Paul reminds us that, that in myself, I am alienated and hostile from God. I don't want Him. I despise Him. And so when I was in that state, Jesus came to earth and He reconciled me to God. He bore my sins in His body and He bought me and and He reconciled me to the Father. He qualified me because I could never qualify myself. And therefore, because of that, I can look forward to someday, as Paul says in our text, enjoying a share in the inheritance of the saints. So in other words, I'm going to have my own piece of property in the New Jerusalem someday. I mean, I will have a place of my own. I will share in the greatest inheritance impossible. And so no matter what else may be going on in your life today, no matter what hardship or pain you may have, If you are in Christ, you have great reason to give thanks. Great reason. And I know some of you have had a long, hard year. You know, Thanksgiving is one of those holidays. I I think they're all this way to some extent. That that they're great, but but, you know, they can easily be bittersweet. If you look at your life and, you know, people are saying, give thanks, and you're like, what do I give thanks for? My year has been a year of frustration, hardship, pain, loss. But but folks, even the worst circumstances cannot touch the inheritance that our Father has awaiting us in glory. And when you someday as a Christian see the new Jerusalem descending from heaven to the earth, it's going to overwhelm every thought, every memory of pain and suffering. So Christian Joyously give thanks to the Father because He has qualified you for an inheritance with the saints in the light. And that is an awesome gift. And then the second reason that we should give thanks is because I am a citizen of Christ's kingdom. I am a citizen of Christ's kingdom. So so verse 13 then follows by saying, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, now notice in this verse, particularly, the the strong contrast uh, between my natural condition as a sinner and my new condition through the Father's grace. So on my own, Paul says, I am a member of the domain of darkness. Now, now the Greek word that's translated here, domain, is the word exousia. And and that word speaks of dominion, authority, or, or power. And it's actually used again in verse 16 to describe the demons. So so the demons are a a dominating authority. And as well, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, calls Satan the God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So as a result, what, what Paul is saying here 
is that unbelievers live in a domain of darkness. Meaning they live under the tyranny of Satan and his demons. So, so they don't see God as He really is. And they are dominated by the sin nature and by the lies of Satan. Now, now the unbeliever, he doesn't think that way, right? He doesn't think that's true. He thinks he is free. You know, he thinks that he sees the world clearly. He thinks that he is making his own decisions. But God says it's all a lie. That Satan has blinded him. So that what he thinks is freedom is actually slavery that is leading to ultimate destruction. And if you are a Christian, it's good for you to remember often that that's where you once were. That before Christ, you were enslaved to the cruelest slave master imaginable. And he was so cunning that you didn't even realize that he had you enslaved. But the Christian can be filled with joyful thanksgiving because the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness. So He gave life to you when you were dead. He gave sight to you when you were blind. And He gave freedom to you when you were a slave. And not only did He rescue you from slavery, verse 13 says that He transferred you to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So in other words, instead of living under the dominion of Satan, I'm now a member of the kingdom of Christ. So so that means that that my eyes are open. I can see the glory of God. I can live a new life in the power of Christ. So I don't have to be controlled by anger, strife, lust, frustration, all the other sins that dominate the unbeliever. No, instead, I can walk in peace, joy, contentment. I can live in a community of of Christians in the church where where we are marked by love and generosity and unity. So so even if your life is hard, understand that we enjoy a wonderful life in Christ compared to the dominion of darkness. And someday, of course, it's not just that that we have this today. Someday Jesus is going to come to earth and He is going to establish His kingdom on this planet. And Revelation 20 says that I will reign alongside Him for a thousand years. And it's going to be a kingdom that's marked by righteousness, justice, and peace. And folks, that kingdom is going to be home in a way that this world will never be home. And again, if you're a Christian you ought to give thanks that you have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. One of the songs we sing, All I Have is Christ, says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. But God rescued me. And He made me a member of Christ's kingdom. And as the song says, now all I know is grace. So we have great reason to joyously give thanks to the Father because we have been rescued from the tyranny of Satan and transferred to the kingdom of of Christ. And then the third reason we should give thanks is because I enjoy redemption and forgiveness. Redemption and forgiveness. So verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
So, so verse 14 here, notice, transitions from, from the work of the Father to the work of the Son. And he mentions here two works that Jesus has done for his children. And the first is, is that Christ paid my debt. Christ paid my debt. So, so he mentions here redemption. And in the first century world, uh, when, when, whenever redemption came up, it, it would naturally call to mind the institution of slavery. And that makes sense in our context because verse 13 just talked about the dominion of Satan or, or Satan's slavery. And so therefore, verse 14 once again reminds us that without Christ, I was in bondage. I was in bondage. And that's because I had a sin debt that, that I could never hope to repay on my own. Now, now lots of unbelievers like to think that, that they can pay that sin debt down, Right? You know, that if I work hard enough, if I do enough good things, that eventually I can get ahead. And eventually, I can pay my debt, I can be debt-free, and I can go to heaven someday. But, but the problem with that thinking is that even if you could work really hard and somehow pay down a portion of your debt, you just keep sinning all the time. So for every step you take forward in paying down your debt, you're going to take two steps backward. There's no way I could ever pay my own debt. So on our own, you know, thinking in terms of the first century mind, we're, we're like slaves. We've got this incredible debt that, that is hopelessly beyond our capability to pay it off. And so we are bound in slavery to that debt. But in the first century world, redemption typically describes the payment of a ransom to buy someone out of slavery. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He purchased our redemption. He paid the infinite sin debt to a holy God so that I could be freed from my debt and freed from its enslaving power. And how we ought to give thanks for the blood-bought ransom of Christ. That I had a debt I could never repay. So Jesus brought an infinite payment to earth. And He died in my place. And so I will never have to pay the price I deserve, which is eternal destruction in hell. Because Christ bore it all and took it out of the way on the cross. So Christ paid my debt, and because of that, we can also give thanks that Christ removed my guilt. Not only do I have redemption, the the verse ends by saying that I have forgiveness of sins. Now, now forgiveness is not a concept that's hard to grasp, right? I mean, we've all all experienced forgiveness. And hopefully at some point in your life, you have extended forgiveness to someone else. So so we all understand the concept. But, but, But while forgiveness itself is a simple concept to grasp, you could spend a lifetime coming to grips with the weight of God's forgiveness. Because you can spend a lifetime coming to grips, first of all, with the righteousness and justice of God. And as well, my sin. And how far I I ultimately fall short of His glory. You know, I mean, a mark of, of spiritual maturity is not that you feel better and better about yourself. The mark of spiritual maturity 
is that you see more and more how hopelessly ruined I am, but how Christ is so much better. And so you can spend a lifetime coming to grips with, with the righteousness and justice of God, what you deserve and what, because, of, because of your sin. And so we should, so we can grow every day to understand and appreciate more and more the forgiveness of God. You know, and so folks, I think it's good to remember that when we stand before a holy God someday, when I stand before Christ, when I see Him in His glory, I'm not going to stand there disgusted that He would send sinners to hell. When I see the glory of God, I'm going to be amazed that He would forgive a sinner like me. And so praise the Lord. And then because of that, we will praise the Lamb who was slain for forever and ever for His incredible sacrifice. And of course, if that's what we're going to do for all of eternity... We are going to praise the Lamb who was slain, that, that He brought us forgiveness, then, then we should get a head start today. And you should give thanks to God for the forgiveness that you have in Jesus. Of course, there might be someone here today that has never received that forgiveness. And it might be that, that you've always thought of yourself as a pretty good person. You know, I mean, you've never done anything too bad. You grew up in a Christian home, and, and so surely. Surely God loves me and God accepts me. I mean, how, how could God condemn someone like me to hell? That's how most people think. But, but the reality is, is that you need to understand from God's Word that God says you have a debt that you can't pay and that you live under the dominion of darkness. Now, those are hard ideas to grasp. They're hard ideas to accept. But the Bible is clear that God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And we stand condemned before Him. But it's also clear that, that you can be saved from the wrath of God through what Jesus did on the cross. So to Jesus shed His blood so, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and so that we could, could live with Him for all of eternity. So, so if you have never received Christ as your Savior today, I hope that you will see that you stand condemned. You are under the tyranny of Satan. But you can be saved if you will recognize your sin for what it is. If you will repent of your sin, recognize that, that it is deserving of the judgment of God, and you will put your faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And if you do that, you can leave today redeemed, forgiven, having an eternal inheritance, and, and, and living as a member of the kingdom of Christ. So, so if you have never been saved, please come to Christ today and be saved. And if you have questions about what that means and how you can know all of this is true for yourself, then talk with us and get answers. But do not leave today. Still under the, the tyranny of Satan, leave today knowing that you are forgiven in Christ. And we'd love to talk with you and, and, and help you know that for sure. So, so, so in, and, and if you are saved, I want to urge you to again joyously give thanks for the gospel. As Jerry Bridges says, preach the gospel to yourself every day of your life. So, so what does that look like? Well, that means that every day of your life, 
you should consciously take a moment to remember who you are apart from Christ. That apart from Christ, I am a wretched sinner. I sin against God every day. And in myself, I deserve condemnation and judgment. But God loved me. And God sent His Son to die on the cross for my sins. And so give thanks that Jesus came to earth and that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice on your behalf. And then remember that God applied that salvation to you through faith. You were justified. Christ's righteousness was was credited to you and you were born again. You were raised to newness of life. And now, your sins are forgiven. They're gone. You are redeemed, and you can live a new life in the power of Christ's kingdom. And someday, you're going to receive an eternal inheritance. Someday, all the stuff of this world is going to fade away, and you're going to be with Christ forever and ever. Now, I know that that a lot of us in this room, we've been saved for years, and, and everything I've said today is basic. This is like what you learned in kindergarten. But but the reality is, it's very easy for us to lose that anchor, right? It doesn't take much for me to start to think I'm something. That I'm really important. You know, it also doesn't take much for me to begin to think that I'm hopeless. That I'm never going to go anywhere at all. And so I need to remember every day uh, that, that I am a sinner. And I need to remember that my hope is not in Kit. My hope is in Christ. And I need to remember every day that I can do battle with sin and I must do battle with sin because I am resurrected with Jesus. And I need to remember every day that my hope is not in this world. My hope is with Christ in heaven. So stay anchored to your life and to your hope in Christ. And give thanks every day for the Gospel and for His gift of grace to you. Let's pray. Well, let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. And and before I pray, I do just want to ask, if if there's anyone here that does not know Christ as Savior, and uh, and you have questions about the Gospel, I'd love to pray for you and and love to seek you out to talk with you about Christ. So if there's anyone like that, if you just raise your hand so that I can be aware and seek you out. Anyone at all? All right, Lord, we thank You so much for the Gospel. We thank You so much that we, in and of ourselves, are nothing but in Christ we can be made new. And we can look forward to an inheritance with the saints in the presence of Your glory forever and ever. And so, Lord, I pray if there's any here that that still do not know Christ as Savior, that, Lord, today You would save them. And for those of us that know You, help us, Lord, to walk in the Gospel every day. And help us to be people who are marked by joyful thanksgiving for every blessing that we have. In Christ's name, Amen.